Hi, and welcome to the In the Cortex podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Paloma Garcia. And I am Danny Perricone. And we're the founders of In the Cortex, an online community with programs that show people the tools that they need to change their lives through brain reorganization. No medication, just movement. When you get your brain out of survival mode and regulate your nervous system, you start to live in the fun, logical part of the brain, the cortex. Subscribe today and learn how to live your best in the cortex life. And now on to today's episode. Hello and welcome to our next episode of the podcast. We have a special guest here today. This is my dad. His name is Chuck Perricone. And he was the oldest member doing our brain program, but he's now been beat. We have a 90-year-old now. And you are how old, Dad? 77. 77. All right. We have my dad here today because he's a rock star and got thrown in last second. He did his brain work with me. And we're going to talk about parenting. And Dad, I want you to be as candid and vulnerable as you are feeling comfortable to be. Um, and he has been through a lot. Obviously, he raised me and my older brother. And I think now that you're a grandpa, you can see how there's a lot of things that, you know, in hindsight, you always go into that space of like, oh, I could have done this differently and maybe reflect not like in a sense of like, oh, I messed up, but more of like, what advice could you give parents? Because I know all of us parents hear advice all the time, but like, what's some like good nuggets that you could offer? I, I think the most, um, <clears throat> one of the things that I think about the most is, is, you know, you always look at your mistakes that you had made which is, you know, you, you can't take them back. You made them. But now that I have grandkids, I can look at it from a different perspective. I'm saying to myself, hey, look, my kids grew up and they're fine. They did great. Even with all the mistakes that were made as we went through, all of us made them. And so patience is the number one thing that um, I would say to all parents. Your kids are going to be kids. Uh, they're going to lollygag. They're going to do whatever. You know, you're just going to, you poke and prod them. You need a cattle prod sometimes to move them on. <laughs> not really. <laughs> but with the electric, yeah. not with the electric jolt. But anyway, it's like, I look at that and go, I had impatience back in the day. Now where I have patience, because I'm looking at the kids, my kids as they grew up and they're both fine. So now that I'm with my grandkids, now that I'm with my grandkids, I'm looking at that from a different perspective in the sense, patience. Mm. And I know they're going to be kids and I know they're going to turn out fine. And it's the example that we set for them. So every day I say to them that I did that I didn't do as much with my kids as I tell my grandkids how much I love them every single day. And mm. that's that's the one thing I think is really different in um, my relationship today is, is I let them know that they're loved because that's probably the most important thing they need to hear every day. Oh, that's almost going to make me cry. And it's true. But when you say patience, and we can we can talk, you've been on the podcast in the sense of sharing examples about you and like your funny stories and how, you know, you navigated life. Um, patience is not something you can just be like, okay, I'm patient. Because when you're trigger triggered emotionally, and you remember this when we were growing up, you can't just like, that's your survival brain kicking in and making you go into that like mm -hmm. fight or flight mode, right? Right. So... For parents, like, do you think if you had done your brain work back in the day, it would have made for all the difference? Absolutely. Um, two things that are in a factor here. Once I'm older, <clears throat> so it's it's life is slowed down. I don't have the pressures of making a living. I don't have the pressures of making payments of this yeah. and that. I live, I live a pretty decent life. I don't have a ton of money, but I also have enough money that I know I can survive. Mm -hmm. So that part of it is gone, is is the pressure financial. of financial pressure is gone. 
But yes, definitely. If I would have been able to creep and crawl back in those days, I would have done a ton of things better. Mm-hmm. Business, kids, everything. I mean, yeah. I agree. Yeah. It's not an, I, this, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think that's what's coming through too right now is you can see it differently now. And I know our relationship has changed so much because I've been doing my brain work, you've been doing your brain work, and now we can have the conversations that, you know, before in the past would turn into like longer fights and we'd get in arguments and then we wouldn't be able to connect as well. Um, Yeah, I think that's all really good advice about that and doing brain work. Is there, besides patience, is there something that you can, that's kind of newer for you? Because I know your era your boomer generation, basically you're the end or the beginning of the boomers. My mom was the end. They're 11 years apart. So they're really that boomer generation that came from parents that were in the great depression. And they experienced a lot of the mentality of like, and you just said it, they were fine. Right. And we're not, we're just now starting to get into this gentle parenting revolution of, um, nurturing our kids emotional well-being too and so this is newer and i know that's a very uncomfortable place for you because you weren't raised with talking about your feelings right no and so now you hear me talking about it with my kids and again i'm not perfect i talk about this all the time i have my moments and um but for me i feel like that's one thing that's come through for my parenting journey since i've done my brain work i can now talk about emotions what is your take on your upbringing how you raise our kids and the whole thought that we're fine, but we have all these emotional wounds. Um, my parents came through two issues, the Great Depression and World War II. And so I'm the first of the baby boomers. And the issue there was, was survival. And what they cared about more than anything else was, was there food on the table? Was there a bed to sleep in? Was there a house? Did we have? Mm-hmm. So they they worked in that realm, the emotional stuff was like, uh, deal with it. Mm-hmm. The It was the physical well-being because they went through a period of, hey, where's the next meal? And then the war. And that was a big deal. I mean, rationing and what was going on and what's going to happen. And so they came through an error. And then they were able to, and then once they came through all that, they hit a, um, a financial boom, as you would say. You know, mm-hmm. people were able to start buying houses. Uh, I mean, everyone you knew owned a house. Everyone you knew had a car. Uh, the moms did not work. They stayed at home mainly. Mm-hmm. So that part of it was the emotional part wasn't there, but the physical part was was always there. They took care of us. And yes, we were spanked. And uh, if we did something wrong, we got, you know, we were chastised pretty severely. But overall, I mean, it was family. And I, that's the one thing I do remember as one of the things I remember was I grew up in an Italian family and we were always surrounded by cousins and aunts and uncles. Mm. So that was probably our emotional support. Mm. Uh, we didn't talk about feelings, but we had the emotional support mm. of the family. I mean, I'm still close with cousins yeah. that, um, you know, I see to this day, you know, and and then all when my aunts and uncles and everyone passed, that was, you know, that was hard for us, but we knew that was going to happen. So. That's Same. a really good point. The whole thought, I didn't actually think about that. And I don't think that's really talked about on social media. We just talk about the lack of talking about emotions. <laughs> but, and I know you talk about a lot too, of like growing up with friends and family, mainly family. Um, and then you also were in a small Midwestern town. So there's also that part too, where life was just different there. And the community was huge and you had a village. So you yes. did have the village. Right. 
and we don't have the villages anymore. Like it's starting to come back out of like necessity because we're kind of in a survival world again, right? Where like housing pricing is insane. Like, you know, after I've gone through my divorce, I'm living with my parents at their house. And so I do have the village. I have my grand, my parents helping me with my kids as we're redoing our foundation. And I can see such a difference in my kids having that extra emotional support. But most kids don't have that. That's true. You know, um, I mean, I, I, I'm just, as you're speaking, I'm thinking yeah. back to my days, the Sunday dinners with the right. aunts and the uncles and the cousins going out in the front yard, playing, having a box with a flashlight and playing, <laughs> up, shining a light yeah. out. I mean, you think about these things, playing baseball with the cousins, playing sports with the cousins. Everything we did was with the cousins and our aunts and uncles. So we could go to an aunt and uncle's house and you never knocked on the door. You just walked in. Mm. You, you knew you were accepted. Mm. You never knocked on the door. My grandmother's, my nanu and nana's house, grandparents' house, same way. You just walked in mm. and you were welcomed as soon as you walked in. That's cool. So I guess you did get an emotional support because you just said that. Like I knew I was loved and accepted because mm -hmm. I could walk into my aunt and uncle's house and there's always like, oh, hey, Chucky's here, right? right. Like there's never like the not knowing but was there the black sheep of the family where everyone knew there was some issues with this person you know if they did they covered it up quite well i it, i i could have been the black sheep because <laughs> i i struggled in school quite a mm. bit um i just just didn't i mean i had a hard time sitting still i had a hard time i always has a wisecrack going on and i was mm. always getting chastised by the nuns um you know disciplined by the nuns and um you know maybe you know you know, like they say, you know, uh, there's always someone in your family. And if you don't know who it is, it's you. Could be. Maybe it was, maybe it was that, me. It's actually really, really funny. <laughs> so if you're listening, if you're in the family here at the Paracone side, chime in. Let us know. Was he black sheep? He doesn't know. Maybe some closure at this yeah. point. That's hilarious. Who was the black sheep in the family? If you don't know who it was, it's probably you. <laughs> That's so, a good one. I don't know. You know, it's just like, but... Everyone loved us. Everyone took care of us. They fed us. And if we needed to be disciplined, it didn't matter which aunt or uncle took care of it. They yeah. took care of it. And they didn't have to go to my mom and say, hey, is it all right if I uh, work on Chuck over here? You know, give him a little something to remind him that's not what he's supposed to do. That's never the case. It, they just did it. Oh, uh, yeah. That and, makes sense. And it's like, there's the old story with, um, I'll tell a story. My Aunt Angel, my mom's younger sister, uh, they were struggling when they were first married and uh, her kids were having a hard time with their teeth and she was having to go to the dentist and paying that dentist bill was very excruciating. And one time she sent us down to the store to pick up some stuff and we had three cents left over, three cents. And I bought three pieces of bubble gum with it. And I came home with the two, my cousin Tony and cousin John, and we're all chewing bubble gum. And my aunt looked at us and says, what are you guys doing? I says, oh, there's three cents left over. And the three of us standing in a row like Moller and Curry got yeah. bam, 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 bam. <laughs> set that gum out. I just paid a ton of money to go to the dentist and all that. And that was, you know, and that was how it was back in the day. Yeah. And at my aunt's funeral, I brought three cents to my cousin says, here's the three pennies. Back. Oh, that's a cool story. So if you could create the perfect reality for kids to grow up today, what would it look like? You know, I don't know what it would look like, but the main thing is, is when they wake up in the morning, tell them you love them. When they go to bed at night, tell them you love them. Let them know that you care about them. When they make a mistake, don't dwell on it. Just try to teach them that it was a mistake and go forward from there. 
I think that's good stuff. I don't know why it's making me so teary-eyed. Maybe this is bringing up some stuff in me, Dad. <laughs> did you not? You didn't. You didn't tell me you love me enough. But you know what he did do? He showed up. He showed up to everything. And that's making me want to cry. But my dad was and still is my number one supporter. I didn't think this was going to get emotional. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, you, My dad, when... Especially with sports, because I played field hockey at a high level, and um, they flew across the country. How many times a season? Oh, five, six five, times. Five, six times a season they, for um, four seasons. Yeah, they came to every game. Um, they were a part of like everything, and even this baby of mine of in the cortex has been a dream of in the creation for fourteen years, and. Um, it has not been a lot of easy stuff. My parents have always believed in it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect to have a total emotional moment here, but I am beyond grateful for them. Letting me do these crazy things, getting people to creep and crawl on the floor and just trusting me? that, yeah, <laughs> getting you to do it and how much has changed our relationship. And um, it's going to... I mean, we see it in my kids, how much they are just so much more regulated, especially after like being kids of, of divorce and it's not easy, but they are just thriving right now. Like, I feel like they are in such a good place, but it's because we're all supporting them from the same foundation of like, you got to do your brain work and you got to stay on track and they feel that from us. And so I'm beyond grateful for my parents and everything that they've done to support me and really just so I can bring this to the world. And anyways, this was a totally unplanned podcast, but I think it went pretty good. <laughs> I didn't expect to cry. You should probably tell them the story about when you were a freshman and wanted to quit. Oh gosh. I tell them, see, here's the thing about, everyone always says this too, is like, once you become a parent, you then have such a different profound appreciation for your parents because you don't realize what your parents go through in order to give you a certain life. And I mean, I grew up in Encinitas, Lacoste area, which is a very um, higher socioeconomic place. And I remember because I played field hockey, I got to travel to all different parts of San Diego County. And San Diego is a beautiful city. And but we lived in like one of the nicer areas. And so we'd travel out and we definitely had this entitlement to us for sure. I can remember that. And um, and you just don't really get it. Like you don't get anything when you're a teenager. You think you know, but you really don't know. And anyways, I got recruited to play um at Miami of Ohio. And I had a boyfriend from high school that I was in love with. And um, I, he went to Cal Poly and I went to Miami of Ohio. So it was a very big gap in distance. And I remember my freshman year, I was just heartbroken. And I mean, I had a decent scholarship. So my dad was like, you better not blow this opportunity. And me being like, oh, I know everything. I'm never going to find love like this again. This is it. Like this, he's the one, right? And, you know, as parents, you're like, oh, dear, get your head out of you know what, because you don't know. Please don't mess up this choice. And my dad told me, I remember having a real attitude problem. I had a real attitude problem playing sports because I was very talented and I always pushed back on all the coaches. And I always thought they didn't know what they were doing. And um, I ended up running a lot of laps. Like I just ran laps all the time because of my attitude being so bad. And it didn't work. It didn't snap me out of it. Um, anyways, so I went to my coach and I told her I wanted to quit. And then she offered me more scholarship. 
and was like, don't leave. So it ended up being like a nice little business decision there. But then I told my dad I wanted to leave and go to Cal Poly and follow my boyfriend. And he's like, if you leave, you're going to get a nine and a half foot up your you know what if you do that or and it's on you. You're literally going to take over every financial burden. That was a wake up call because I was like, ooh, how much does it cost to go to school there? And I like ran a couple numbers, carried the one. I was like, yeah, that's a lot of money. And I ended up not doing it. Thank goodness. It was a lot of crying and a lot of sadness, a lot of dysregulation on my part. And I didn't do it. I stuck it out. I made it all four years. And I am the person I am today because of that choice and because my dad push me to say, don't give up on this. Like, don't follow a boy. If you're a teenager listening to this and you're a girl, don't ever follow a boy for anything. Like, that's my one piece of advice. Don't ever, ever throw anything away for what you think is love that you'll never find again because there's not just one soulmate for you. Anyways, um, so I ended up sticking it out and I was one of the four, three, one of the three graduating seniors. We started with a class of seven and only three of us made it all the way through And it was the best experience of my life. And it set the bar for me that if I can do that, then I can do anything. And then I moved to a third world and lived there for a couple of years. And then I did this. And then I started a business. So I was like, it set in me a belief that I can make it through absolutely anything because being a Division I athlete in college is one of the hardest experiences people experience. It's grueling and it's taxing. and, And I had a super dysregulated brain, so it made it even harder. I think I think part of that division one and part of that stuff is is that it's not failure is not an option. You're going to fail. Yeah. You're going to get knocked down. But what it teaches you is to get back up, and that's the same with this business in the cortex. You're knocked down and you get back up. You get knocked down, you get back up. There's an obstacle, we go around it. So mm-hmm. it's like that's what this is teaching us is is that don't think about failure as as being you've just lost no failure is a good thing you just have to stand back up and go again 100 percent. and that's what life is every time you do it and that's what in the cortex teaches you is that when you get knocked down you hurt you you teach yourself i can get back up and now i'm going to go do this again and you get knocked down again because there's another obstacle but that's what life is 100%. That's exactly it. And I think I didn't even make that connection. Like field hockey gave me that because there's always going to be somebody better than you. And there's always going to be somebody who's more dedicated, more and more and more, right? And you can't compare yourself to that. You can only compare yourself to you. And I know there's been so many times where I'm like, do I throw in the towel at this? Because building a business is one of the hardest, other hardest things I've ever done besides being a parent. And um, yeah, so it's great to have a supportive network here that believes in you that's everything so you might not have said it but i felt it yeah i know i didn't say it enough yeah but that's okay i do still think you said you love me but i do know that some of it was based on if i scored more goals i got these <laughs> well we started out when she was in soccer in uh, like the sixth seventh eighth grades and all that score a goal i'll buy ice cream yeah and then i was like <laughs> so I got with that. and i do that with my uh, grandkids right yeah. now yeah. Hey, Axel, if you uh, hit the ball, I'm going to buy you ice cream. So I got to, you know, I'm still using that same motivation. And we let them know now it's not attached to your worth. So if you also don't hit the ball, we'll still go celebrate and have fun. <laughs> um, and then I was going to also share too, because it wasn't just me growing up. I have an older brother and he, like my dad said, he's thriving. He's brilliant. He's doing so many great things. He's a beer brewer and he's highly sought after and he is just It's a really saturated market. So to be able to have a name for yourself in that is very telling of where you are. 
And my brother gave my parents quite a roller coaster of a ride throughout his teenage years. And I don't know if you have any advice because you had, you guys had to do a lot. You spent a lot of money on a lot of things. We made a very, very difficult decision because his, of his, his inner anger and something going on with him, his, his ability that not to believe in himself. Mm. And uh, no matter what we did, it didn't work. He had, he had the sense of I'm not worthy. And so we made a very, very difficult decision to say, Hey, I know you're worthy. However, we made a decision to say to him, you're not worthy. We sent him away for a year and a half. And that was a very, very difficult decision. And it was done not politely, not nicely. He was handcuffed and toted off because we knew that if there wasn't some break in the action, somehow for him to reset his reset himself, he would not make it. He would, he would have been into drugs. He would have been into something that would have been destructive. So that was our way of saying, even though you don't think you're worthy, we think you're worthy. And this is why we're doing this. At the time, it didn't look like that to him. Right. But I mean, he was into drugs. And and in the area that we lived in, a lot of kids were into some really heavy stuff. He wasn't into heavy stuff, but he wasn't making great choices. And he was also, um, he was just kind of out of control. And he was just very, and you guys had tried everything, but <laughs> not brain work. But my mom is the person who brought brain gym and paul dennison into our world because she took peter my older brother to paul dennison when he was like i don't know 10 10 11 12 yeah now he's 41 now so i mean paul dennison was wasn't as big as he is today but he patterned him and he put him on the table and he did some of the patterns of the reflex integration and my mom saw a shift in him immediately like he stopped he was not reversing his letters like after one session and um the problem was it was in ventura and so driving him to sessions was just unfeasible. It was not attainable. And then it was expensive. And so that's really like the message for what we're doing in the Cortex is we want to make this program accessible. So it's online, it's self-paced, and it's affordable. It's $47 a month for 12 months. You're done paying, you're in for life. That's less than $600 that you can invest in to change your life and to have a supportive community forever. So if you guys had that for Peter – his trajectory would obviously be different. It wouldn't be your story today, sure. but um, it obviously, but it was, it was, it was a lot of fighting and you and him would definitely get into it because it was just frustrating trying to parent. Parenting is hard. And then parenting a child with a dysregulated nervous system, primitive reflexes still on your primitive reflexes on your system dysregulated. It's just like chaos. So I grew up in that and then I, but I, I channeled it through sports and I, that's where my saving grace came in. But the point is, is you guys had that story to have a story to tell other people. Like we know what it feels like to have kids that don't listen, to feel like you're going to lose your kid and you have to make hard decisions and you're glad you did. Right. Very happy we did it. And I think Peter's even happy because he realized that taking him away from the people that he was surrounding himself with helped him tremendously because he's looking at those guys now and a lot of them, some of them aren't around. Yeah. And some of them are just in jail. still in and they're in jail. And so don't helicopter your don't helicopter your kids, you know, let them grow, let them let them be the helicopter and fly. But at the same time, you have to step in at times and say, hey, it's time for a change. And I think that's where this program is really good. Because when she says under six hundred dollars for the year, I think that's what we paid 30 years ago to send Peter one session up to, to spend the time, the day and everything else. 
to do one session with Mr. Dennison. So yeah, it's 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 a cheap deal when you look at it. And I'm not trying to promote or I'm not trying to be the salesperson here because <laughs> yeah. I'm not. Yeah. I'm just trying to say this is money better invested than this. And I wish we would have had it. Right, for sure. Well, now you experience it too. And now you get to experience when you have your brain or work done in the morning and you're modeling that for my kids. <laughs> like that was really the big catalyst for my kids to get on board. And now that you're experiencing it, you can see a shift in you. And you're like, oh, that's Cortex. Like when you, I was sitting here and I watched you accidentally rip the thing off the top of the RV. We talked about it in a podcast. I was like, uh-oh. And you're just like, okay, whatever. And you moved on. And it was like, whoa, you didn't turn that into like the end of the world? Like that's huge. But that's because your brain was just like, you know, stuff happens. You, got, you can't keep, go back into the past and have a freak out about it because it's not going to fix it, right? So that's where we wish all parents could come from a regulated space because it's you put in the 20 minutes in the morning or whatever time of the day, and then you're able to just respond to your kids differently. When I started dedicating this to my daily practice for the past five months, you can see a difference in my parenting. Like I'm not yelling nearly as much. Like there's times where I raise my voice a little bit so I know my kids can hear me. Um, and that's what sometimes we get to. And that's obviously stuff we're still working on and it's not perfect. But before I was completely at a loss, I was just like, I wanted to like throw my hands in the air and be like, I don't know what to do with these kids. Like they don't want to do whatever. And I feel like I have hope in me and I have the the bandwidth and the power to push through every day and have a smile on my face and then go to bed and deal with, you know, if they wake up in the middle of the night and they have an accident, like I don't get mad at them or feel like, oh, it's the end of the world. It's just like, okay, I can stay regulated even when it's hard, mm-hmm. right? So that's the that's our program. Do you have anything else you want to add? I was just going to say, um, basically, like uh, the grandkids, you know, the thing I've learned is, is now when um, the kids, the kids want to play and they get off track. They're supposed to be getting ready for school, supposed to be, <coughs> excuse me, supposed to be getting ready for something. And now I can just look at the kids and go, I need you to do this right now. And as they're leaving, say to them, I love you. Please go do this. As opposed to back in the day, yeah. do this. Yeah. So it's a different way of dealing with them. And the results are the same. You get They get it done. But one way is gentler as mm-hmm. the other. And right. that and for that person's emotion, that child's emotion, that's an awesome step. I was going to say, I don't think the results are the same. I I think the results are actually obviously better and well heard, right? I guess what I meant by result was they got dressed and got ready oh, for school. Yeah. That result happened. Yeah. But yeah, the way we went about it was two different ways. One was screaming, yelling, threatening. And the other was, hey, I need you to do this. And this is why I want you to do it. And by the way, I love you. Yeah. And when they hear that, they move forward. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, I'm worth it. It was like Siggy last night. She wanted me to feed her. She's four, almost five. And she wants me to feed her. And I was like, but if I feed you, then that makes me that that'll make you feel like I don't think you're capable of doing things. And then that'll keep you small. And she actually registered it and she was like, oh, okay. So I was like, you need to feed yourself because you're a big girl. And and you know, it might be like a distorted thing of her being like, just feed me. I want to be a baby. But then that undercurrent, that subconscious is then being like, you're right. You are incapable of doing things. I do need to help you do everything. And that's where the helicopter parenting comes in because it is easier to just do it for them. It is easier just to get it done. Do your kids' homework for them. Just get it done. Check it off. Turn it in. Don't deal with the teacher, right? But then that message you're sending is, you're right. You're not capable. You're not worthy of X, Y, and Z. And so having the patience, like you mentioned, 
to sit with them and have them struggle through something is harder for us parents than it is for them. And so to allow them to struggle through it and to hear no and to deal with it is setting them up for the future of, yeah, like you said, life isn't just handed to you and it's easy. You have failure, you fall down. So we have to teach them that resilience when they're younger. And that comes from parenting. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Do you have any Namaste. Namaste. (laughs) Muchas gracias. Um, I was a good session. Thanks for being here, Dad. You're welcome. Yeah, that was fun. Okay. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate the podcast, share this episode with anybody who you know would like to listen to this stuff. And okay, here we go. Our social media, TikTok, in underscore the underscore cortex. Instagram, in the cortex underscore US. Instagram, en español, in the, in the cortex underscore ESP. Uh, Facebook, in the cortex US. YouTube, in the cortex US. Website, www.inthecortex.com. Email, I said it already. Hello at in the cortex.com. And remember, if you sign up soon, you get to use promo code Brainiac, because that's what we all are, because we listen to this. We're Brainiac. We love it. We love our brains. And you can get 10 bucks off the first payment of our program. And yeah, we have some amazing, very exciting new things coming. So if you're a parent listening to this, make sure to follow us on social media because there's something really, really fun coming up in the next couple of months. Thank you.